Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there, and welcome to episode 57 of the WP Builds Podcast which is entitled Why I Built an Inline Editor for Beaver Builder with Bradley Kirby. We'll be joined by Bradley Kirby a little bit later. It was published on the 21st of December 2017. And in fact, this is going to be the last of the WP Builds podcast episodes that we release in 2017 because David and I have decided we need a bit of a break. We're going to take two weeks off. So there's going to be two weeks where there's no WP Builds podcast. We apologize dearly for that, but uh, we polled the community and it was overwhelmingly uh, thought that it was okay for us to take a couple of weeks off because we've got families and things to do. So anyway, I hope that's okay with you. Right, back to the normal stuff. My name's Nathan Wrigley from pictureandword.co.uk, a small web development agency based in the north of England. And I'll be joined later for our discussion by David Wormsley. And in today's discussion, we're going to be talking about what do you do when clients don't pay? Not like we've got all the answers, but that's what we're going to be talking about. And then the ending fact today is UX user experience. Please, as always, go to the WPBuilds.com website and click on any of the buttons. Give us an iTunes review. A nice five-star one would go down very nicely. Thank you. Also, WPBuilds.com forward slash Facebook for the Facebook group, forward slash subscribe if you want to join our newsletter, and forward slash advertise if you would like to advertise on the podcast. Apologies if you just heard a loud noise. Some letters just came through the letterbox. (laughs) Can't help living in the real world. And sometimes I start these things again. But today, do you know what? I want to get this finished and get on with Christmas. So I'm not going to go back and edit it. I'm going to leave the letterbox noise in if you could hear it. Okie dokie. Right, let's get on with the news then. The first article is on the ArrayInternet.com website. And it's a piece, it's quite a long-form piece, and it's written by Michael Hebenstreet. Um, and it's in top, well, it's all about Gutenberg, as we often do talk about. But this one's got an interesting take because it's about the cost of Gutenberg transition for small web WordPress businesses, rather like my own. And and the article goes in goes on to explain why this this is a substantial thing for small developers and small website um, agencies because they're going to have to retool and retrain and th- so you know although it's lovely and shiny and new there is a, a hidden cost if you like and and I thought the article was very very well written and very thoughtfully put together so I would I would say if you're a small agency maybe have a look at that there's no solutions there's just an argument as to why this is an important thing that WordPress shouldn't forget about the next one is on the Pagely website and really it's very simply just a list of some major WordPress events that are happening during 2018. Loopcom, uh, Pressnomics, WP Campus, A Day of Rest and so on and so forth. So if you need a list of 2018 events, it seems to be US centric, but anyway, certainly worth looking at. Now, very quickly, three from Word WordFence. Lots and lots of hacking and terrible security news this week. Uh, the capture plugin affects thirty, sorry, three hundred thousand WordPress sites um, and does some rather malicious stuff. We've talked about this a few a few months ago, but 
basically um, it's installing some back doors which um, are being linked for search engine optimization reasons and it's just something you need to be mindful of the next one is that there's now an aggressive brute force attack it started a few days ago and it really did ramp up so have a little look um, if you've noticed that your website is getting um, banged on the WP admin login screen there may be a reason for that and finally it's about the third one is about uh, cybersecurity and Bitcoin well crypto mining crypto coin mining shall we say and what these what some of these new exploits are up to and how they're targeting uh, WordPress installs vulnerable WordPress installs in order to get some mining done on, on your server time which is shocking but to be expected I guess and the last one very quickly Jetpack 5.6.1 increases the security of the contact form mod mod module it's about 10 lines this one on the WP Tavern website and it's basically there's Titan security on the contact form module and there's not a lot more to say there you go right we'll get on with the podcast today as I say in a moment we'll be handing over to David and I to have our little discussion about clients not paying us and what we do and then we'll be going on to talk with Bradley Kirby about Wallace in line now Wallace in line can be found at wallaceinline.com and it's a tool which allows you to edit Beaver Builder online so stay tuned after David and I's discussion if you want to hear about that so here we go episode 15 of the WP Builds podcast. We will see you in three weeks and I really hope that you have a very, very Merry Christmas. Today's topic is what do you do when clients don't pay? Now, this hasn't really come out of any place. There's just always some kind of conversation about this and I've got limited experience on this one. But Nathan, what do you know about this? Have you had this problem with clients well, not paying? No, I confess I've never had the problem whereby the client has never, ever paid. The worst that I've ever had is clients being a bit rubbish at paying. You know, yes. everybody knows cash flow is a real thing. And if you don't have the money coming in as fast as you're working for it, then your business can absolutely fail. And so I've had a few clients who I've actually kept on because I quite like them. But um, I've had a few clients who simply are a bit rubbish at paying. They always do in the end but it requires me to sort of chase them up. So I've never had clients that don't pay. And, and put simply, my system, the, the the billing system that I use, the invoicing app, if you like, um, has, a, has, a, has a process in there whereby if, um, if uh, an invoice email goes out, it starts counting the days. And mm. after a certain amount of days, which you can set, let's say 14 days, you can write a you can have an, an automated email that goes out actually it doesn't automatically send it out it um it just automatically queues it and you then have to click the button and so you can put whatever text you like in there and and you know if it's 14 days late i give them 14 days to pay it so by the time um the 14 late days has, has come around we're talking four weeks since the date it was should have been paid initially uh-huh um and it, it, it basically it's a banal little email sort of saying look i, I wonder if you've um in, in your busyness or something like that, forgotten that this invoice was 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 there. Please go and check it out. And then I have a, another email two weeks later, which says more or less the same thing, but just, you know, just another reminder. Um, and then after six weeks, yeah. I've got one and it starts to be a little bit more cross sounding. So it, I can't remember the exact wording. I should really have dug it out, but it starts to imply that, look, 
things are things are not right here. Um, if you don't um, sort this out quite soon, we're going to have to start talking about pulling your products and services offline because in most cases yes. there's a website attached to it um, which I have the control over. And then what about? After, go on, sorry, I was going to say there was one final email which goes mm. out. I think eight weeks later, which basically says, look, sort this out now. Otherwise, it's going to happen very, very soon. And I've never had to send that email out, I don't think. And anyway, if I have ever had to send it out, I've never, ever had to pull uh, a website down. So that's my limited experience. Okay. So I can understand this yeah, very much so with um, care plans and hosting and stuff. But that maybe that first payment, do you ever get an issue with that? Well, before you start a, yeah, you know, I mean, project. I've I've definitely had projects where I've sent out, you know, I've done the the proposal and things, and the proposal's been accepted, and then I've sent out the invoice, which in in effect is the deposit, and it hasn't been paid, and yes. in in all cases where that's happened, it turns out they've found out they found somebody else that wants, you know, that's doing the website, and they simply couldn't be bothered to reach out and tell me. Uh, basically it comes down to a bit of manners doesn't it and a bit of an effort so you know I've, i phoned them up and said you know could you pay the invoice and they said well you're not you're not actually building this oh right okay well that's fine whatever um moving on and uh so that's happened to me but what i know that your system is designed to prevent this from happening isn't it your new your new system yeah, well, still we're in a stage of where I'm setting up the new. The new means that everybody has to pay beforehand, so they book our days on all projects. So we can give them some idea about how long their project might take in terms of dates because we're saying to them it's a collab. Cl I can never say that word. Collaboration. Co Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> God. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so... We, you know, make that really clear and that we can do so much, uh, but it relies on you and you to do agree things and for you to get some content ready for us and, and work with us. And, and, and on that side, you know, we can't really determine. So we just say book our time and this is what we do and we work that way. So everything's up front. So there is no issue. And until somebody's made some purchase, that includes hosting and care as well. So they get one month free for their um, for their development time. But after that, their site is being looked after by us. So, they, so if they stop like they have done with us for months on end, I'm still getting something while that's going on. In fact, you know, it's the best kind of hosting we could have because yeah. no one's going to the site. <laughs> um, so, you know, but, you know, no one has an issue with that so far. I mean, it's, you know, it's just the early days of these new, pro you know, new projects that we're taking on when we're saying that. And no one's, you know linked at all at this you know they just mm. think this is how it's done yeah but you know I, i've still got the other side of it with not paying because you know we did a long project you know i'm working with um, my colleague and, and friend of like 30 years and that she's terrible because she works in our my old hometown in lincolnshire where you know a lot of things are done on a, a, a spit and a handshake and, uh, you know, <laughs> she often doesn't, you know, she doesn't tie people down. She'll start the work with them before she's got their money in. And she, she just had one just at the moment where fortunately it turned out communication gone astray, but she thought they just weren't communicating or, and she put in a, an invoice for them early, but she'd started that work. So do you think there's anybody who still has that issue because they d d kind of doing what Maria does, um, not getting the money off them up front? 
Do you oh, think this is still a problem, Ella? I don't know. I, I should just apologise for David dropping out there. I don't know if on the recording it will drop out, but you, ah. you dropped out for about two seconds. But we were very much able to work out what you were saying because it was it was right in the middle of what you were saying and not at the beginning. Um, I hope not. You you would have thought that in this day and age you wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't do any substantive work prior to being uh, paid something. And I don't think you need to be. Um, annoying or aggressive in that tactic. I think everybody understands that, you know, um, I'm not going to do you a page template or a graphic design or any work in Photoshop to show you what it'll look like before you've actually paid me something. Um, You know, look at my website, see that I've done this before, have a little bit of trust. I'll come over to your office. We'll talk. You can see that I'm real. You know where I live and so on. Mm. Um, And so you shouldn't be doing a great deal of work. Um, so, no, I, I bet there are. I bet there are people, especially people who are beginning in this industry, mm. who are so keen to get the first few jobs under their belt that they're going to do things on a promise. And and I'm sure it goes south uh, for those people from time to time. And, you know, dishonest people exist. And they'll quite happily get the work from you and then refuse to pay uh, after the fact. I've certainly heard stories from friends mm. of mine in different fields of work, admittedly, where they've done the work mm. and and simply haven't been paid, but I guess you've got to be upfront at the beginning and explain your process. You know, explain right from the outset. You know, we we want thirty percent upfront, and in my situation, I still tinker with it all the time. But very often it boils down to his thirty percent before we begin, thirty percent at an agreed milestone, and forty um, percent to finish it. And then of course that means mm. that by the time you've done your two milestones you're hoping that the client has spent you know, enough money that it makes absolutely no sense not to pay the remaining 40%. And, and so, it's, so it's always proven to be. I work with local clients a lot, so I, I actually see them, um, meet them, you know, shake their hands mm-hmm. and so on. So it's less of an issue because in a small town like the town where I live, you, you can't do that um, too many times because in the end that word gets around. Um, I guess if you're working mm-hmm. more internationally as a as an agency or something and you're dealing with people that you never actually meet and have no backstory on, that might happen more and more, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we certainly did, you know, through my colleague, we, we certainly put people's sites live or developed them on their server so they were ready to go before we got paid and that that was a mistake. It's not been an issue. And mm. so it's not been an issue when it's been her clients and I've been working for her because nobody pays me quicker than what she could do. Yeah. And, and chases me for my invoices. So yeah, I've been fortunate there, but she's lost out through that. You know, um, I guess that's an easy mistake to make, isn't it? And also it, it is convenient um, to develop things on their infrastructure. I'm, I'm actually mm. in the process of developing a website for a company who have all of that infrastructure available to them uh, you know they've got all of it and they're experts in um, managing computer networks and things so they know their stuff but i i just said politely at the very beginning look i'm going to do it on my um my server stack if you mm. like because i'm familiar with it and i can tweak it if it you know just basically said no um no yes. you're not you're not having it on your infrastructure i'll do it on mine um Having said all of that, these were clients that I've dealt with time and time again, so I had no reason to believe that there would be anything peculiar, but I've just got that line, and uh, it doesn't make sense to me to build anything 
because all you've got is FTP access or SFTP access and, and then they can just shut you out, can't they? And then you've got no yeah. reasonable expectation of being paid. So that would be a, an absolute tip. Don't build your stuff on other people's yes. technology. Build it on your own. Uh, have it open on the, the public-facing internet so that they can see what you're doing. You know, you might even want to go as far as giving them access to the WP admin as a, as a limited role. But... Um, mm. But don't build it on their stuff so that they can then shut you down. And I'm, I'm guessing that you feel this stuff happening. You know, if you've got a, a fantastic relationship with the people and you, you talk to them regularly and they seem honest and forthcoming and give you stuff when you want it, then um, you, you're probably not going to run into these problems too too often, I wouldn't have thought. But anyway, yeah, that, that would be my advice. Don't, don't build on their stuff. Yeah. Have you ever... Do you make sure that you've got your last 40% before you actually put their site live? Yeah, I do actually. And funnily okay. enough, I am holding out for a last 40% at the minute. Um, oh. and, and I think it's a cash flow thing in their business. And they've been very honest about it. And they've said, is the site finished? And I've said, well, yes, you've seen that it's ready. Um, and so at the moment, I think we're just waiting on um, on the, the, them to get their ducks in a row. I have every expectation that it's going to be normal just because I... I actually know their business quite well. It's it's on like a street where I can drive past and they're busy. I know they're busy, so it's not going to be a problem. They're just, I think, waiting until Christmas perhaps is out of the way. Um, but I talk to them <laughs> regularly. So, yeah, I've got it ready. It's all good to go. But I've said quite clearly, you know, once once the invoice is paid and there hasn't been any, you know, they don't see that as an unreasonable thing for me to say. It was just very much, oh, OK, that's how it works then. I guess that makes sense. And if there was any quibble, it would yeah. be like, well, you wouldn't expect to go into a shoe shop and pay 90% yeah. and walk out with the shoes. You'd expect to pay all of it, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's. I remember listening to a podcast ages back that were talking about it, and the, the guy who ran it, there was two of them talking, and he was very particular about his 30 days because a lot of the companies he worked for wouldn't pay their invoices until those 30 days are up, and he just said, no, it, it's on. As soon as I send the invoice, I expected to pay it immediately within that day, and mm. they would say, well, we haven't set up for that, but he always just adamant, and he said everybody bent to that just because he said, no, that's how I work. I and they all do. could... What, what... What is the ultimate sanction, though, mm. that you would apply at that point if they didn't come through at 30 days mm. and that was your red line? Would you just trash mm. all the work you've done? And I don't know. Um, I mean, we certainly had that. Uh, when I say we, really, it's not me because it's not affecting me, but um, certainly had to chase people. After, uh, Maria's had to pay pe chase people after the 30 days. I mean, fortunately, these are just people who forget stuff. Mm. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> they, they paid her, but... Um, but I, you know, this is my my reason for trying to prevent all of this in the first place and make everybody pay up front is because I really, really want to give people the best deal. And if they make me have to chase them for the payments or keep some log of this, this all takes up time, yeah. of which then I have to charge people who do pay on time yeah. for. And that seems so unfair to me. Mm, I don't, I'm, I'm not in it on that level. You know, I'm not an agency. My stuff is all yeah. going through my fingers um so i've got a grasp on it also it's not that difficult but i can imagine if you were an agency with a dozen employees and you're trying to track everything and the accountants mm. trying to keep abreast of everything it must be an absolute nightmare cash flow really yeah. really must be horribly difficult you know and, and i guess these red lines must be drawn somewhere 
But uh, I wonder what the sanction is. I wonder if you literally are prepared to throw the the, the last yeah. the website in the bin because of the forty percent at the end. Say I couldn't do that. I, I would just keep that line of communication going. Um, and and it's like I say, it's never really happened to me. The, the odd thing I was explaining to you on before we started recording this that I experimented recently with the sort of one day website thing. Um, and I got I got a client, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't put a web page up or anything like that. I just said it to a client at a meeting. I said, "Look, I've got this new idea of reducing the cost and doing it all in a day. What do you think about that?" And they said, "Yes." And I said, "Great, okay. So you'll you'll pay me a hundred percent up front, and I will get on with it." And I'm in the odd position now where they paid me months ago, and I've sent them repeated emails to get the stuff out of them. And they're, they're, yeah. they're not sending me anything. So that's the that's <laughs> really an odd one for me because I've been paid the full, uh, you know, everything. I'm expecting to build a website. I've got the yes. I've got the development server all ready to go. Everything's tickety boo, and uh, and they're not giving me <laughs> not giving me anything. It's so <laughs> peculiar. But it also sounds like a bit of a problem as well, isn't it? Because they paid you in advance for work they're still expecting you to do. Is that right? Mm. So, yeah, so you kind of be, oh, yeah. yeah well, at some point, I will have to allocate that day. Um, yeah. But it, is, but it is built on that system. The, the way that I uh, phrased yeah. it was, you supply me with all the content, and after I've got all the content, I'll book the day in the calendar. Um, yes. And, and that's the process. You know, those are the steps that you've got to go through. So the, the content hasn't been supplied. So my calendar, as always, is is, you know, I can fit things in. Um, and and I just haven't had to fit them in yet. <laughs> and I will do at some point, but that that's fine. You know, I can't see anything broken from my point of view in that interaction. But from their point of view, they're just too busy. I have had, I did get a phone message from the client, just basically saying, "Look, you know, this was right at the beginning, mm-hmm. kind of a couple of weeks later, saying, look, 'Look, I'm sorry, we're really busy. We'll get to it as soon as we can.'" Um, and I, I and I've just sent a few emails and had no responses, so I'm just thinking, okay, well, that's fine. You know, at some point the accountant will say, "What the heck's this payment for?" And why haven't we got it? Um, and I'll then have to do the work. Yeah, this is the reverse of our question, isn't yeah. it? So this is what do, what do you do when the client's paid? They <laughs> paid in advance, and you haven't had to do any work. Yeah. Well, it sits sits yeah. happily, and uh, it's an interesting one because I, I wonder if I should keep that money separate. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If at some point they come back and say, look, you've done nothing, we've done nothing, um, mm. can we have our money back? That really hadn't occurred to me until this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that will happen. But I can't, I mean, there was no uh, there was no discussion of any of that in the meeting. It's that you'll pay me 100% and so on. So we'll see. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I literally had to rush in um, my booking system so people could pay for dates because as I've been working with my colleague and she's been organizing that time with them, I, it's not been such a problem because it's her time. But for me, I was doing these one-day builds myself, so I mm. needed to just fit that in, which I've got two of those booked in now. And that's quite good because if they don't show – well, I, I decided in the end to have a 30-day uh, – money back guarantee if you changed your you so they could go and change their dates but but because we're expecting most people to book within that period um effectively they don't get their money back so mm. if they don't make use of the day or they don't send a representative or they don't send me the stuff and they're going to end up paying for nothing for that day mm. so mm, so you that's, send so out that's... repeated reminders then to ensure that that 
situation doesn't happen? Like, is there an automated email which goes out a week before just sort of saying, you know, just just a gentle reminder, you've got this thing in seven days, make sure that somebody turns up kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Why wasn't you around earlier? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, in I... a way, in a way I have, because what the first thing that happens is I put them on a SANA and I put some deadlines in there. So that does okay. send them some emails. Yeah. Yeah. So it does. I have, um, when we have guests on the podcast, I have a, um, a WordPress plugin, which um, I send people to that page where the, the calendar is on and the, oh. the system that I'm using allows you to send out, I think one, possibly two automated emails of that nature, uh, just to say, yeah. look, you know, you've got something, uh, you've got something in this case, a podcast, here's the dates, here's the times, quick reminder, um, you know, don't forget. And it, it's, it's proved to be good. And I get a copy of it as well. So that I know, <laughs> I know that, that they have also, and nobody's yet failed to show up. I don't think. Oh, apart from Lee Jackson that one time. Because <laughs> he was still in bed. <laughs> Sorry, Lee. Uh, dear. What about, because we're not answering the question here, because we're hypotheticals, because we haven't had the problem. What would happen, though, if you got your, let's say this one that you've got now, that's still waiting on their 40% for the final payment. What if they just, that just doesn't happen? Is there a point where you think you might just, take action on this or yeah. do you feel you cannot yeah I, I i would be really nervous to get the the lawyers involved largely because they're very expensive in this country however having said that in in the in the uk we've got mm. a system called the small claims court um and i don't know what the ceiling is i think i think there must be some sort of financial um ceiling to that so let's say mm. it's twenty thousand pounds no doubt somebody will know or a hundred or two hundred thousand pounds whatever um, you can take people to court and it only costs £50 to get that whole process going. My understanding is that you sort of represent yourself. You don't necessarily need lawyers and, and you, um, you just go through the whole process with this £50 spent. So I think probably if it really, really did come to it, I would probably go down that route. But I would weigh up into it how much time I would lose, you know, c collating mm. all the documents and um and representing myself in court because oh no i don't think you need to even show up do you you don't i don't think you need to even be there um but you you know you'd have to spend a lot of time weighing up whether or not it was worth the time invested to go and fight these people if it was a tiny little project 1500 pound website and the final 40 percent was due it maybe it isn't maybe you just let that go and chalk it up to experience um but also, you know, if you're trying to get blood out of a stone, if somebody has, let's say, gone bankrupt, you're not you're not going to get that money anyway. That you know, they're mm. bankrupt. There's no system pr that provides for money from bankrupt people, as far as I know. So I, I I could see myself using the small claims court. I can't really see myself using lawyers because it financially, I don't think I could risk that. Um, mm. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I think, well, now, you know, I'm largely charging a small amount for days, so I don't think I'll ever go that mm. route. But there was one video, I mentioned this before, I never asked if you saw it, though, which was, uh, I can't say the full title, but it was FU Pay Me video, which mm. did the rounds that I think came out of some uh, word of press meeting or something, and it was a lawyer guy. And it was really, you know, everybody was whooping at this and it still gets shared and it's still very popular. But for me, it really turns me off because it's that kind of, 
it was about really about the need for us to set things down in good solid contracts mm. and to act on them and i just thought you know what i'll never do that no um <laughs> you know you've got to be a certain kind of person haven't you and you've also got to be very sure of yourself and, and like i say I, I, i've not really run into that problem and and i don't think i could be that aggressive um but i, I suppose yeah. that would it does all come down to the contract, doesn't it, in a way? And it, it, I I hate to think about what a lawyer could do to my contract. They could probably tear it to mm. shreds because I sort of cobbled it together myself based upon a little bit of reading around that area. But I'm sure that, as 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 is always the case, lawyers can tear things to pieces that you believe to be watertight. So, mm. But if you do have a watertight contract and it's drawn up by a professional, which probably is the right way to go at the outset then you should be able to um, seek recompense against it. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, I think I don't know. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, there's no mystery there, is there, that lawyers are going to be saying that you need lawyers to help you out with this no. problem. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, the you lawyers know, that's always how I win. Kind of... <laughs> exactly. They, they like a little bit Discord because they can you know, take a fee <laughs> a from sorting it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh gosh, what am I saying? But you know, I think that's that's true. There, I do you use the um, Andy Clark contract or yes, a version I, I of have, that. I have a version of that, and I've amended it um, and uh, just tweaked it to to be my own. However, um, I presume that that is still good. Um, I don't suppose that that law changes much over time, but it's very much written in um, normal. English, you know, there's no difficult mumbo jumbo meta language. So I don't know if um, really a legal contract needs all that meta language or if his contract actually would stand up. Um, I'm mm. trusting that it would because I'm trusting what he said, but I don't know. What about you? Do oh. you use that one as well? No, I don't. No. I, well, don't bother with contracts at all. No, because uh... they're paid, right? In your sense, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but also, you know, exactly. Um, it's been trust through somebody else paying and people that I know, and I've, it's it's worked out for me. But mm. I, I actually thought with that, I forgot what it's called. Do you do you remember what his uh, contract's called? Oh, it's uh, uh, Andy Clark's no killer something. Ki yeah, contract no. killer or something like that. Contract. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, it's something like that. Yeah, I thought it wasn't at all legal, um, but uh, there you go. I thought, yeah, I thought it was basically, well, I think you would just have to hope and pray because it was largely just to say, you know, I'm not going to be a dick, you don't be a dick, and we'll all get along fine. That's yes. pretty much, I think, all it was saying and hoping that if you did have a problem, that would kind of be enough because the intent would be there. You yeah, know? it is called the contract killer. Um, yeah. And the the version that I'm looking at at the moment is on the stuffandnonsense.co.uk website. Yeah. And it was uh, yeah. it seems to have been updated in November 2012 so it's um it's a long way way in the past now so who knows whether it's got any any watertightness but like i say um i'm dealing with normal people so hopefully those normal people know that i need to feed my family and so on and, and, yes. and i've never had it yet so there we go what do we do when clients don't pay we've got no idea <laughs> send them photos of emancipated children that's it yeah, exactly <laughs> guilt, yeah, so guilt them into it i'll take pictures of my children holding up bowls empty bowls oliver twist styly um <laughs> and yeah that's gonna work <laughs> right i think we should stop that one 
and move on yeah. to our interview, which um, is going to happen right now. Hi there. We're um, having a, an interview today all about Beaver Builder. Um, not the typical Beaver Builder conversation, because today on the line from New York, we've got Bradley Kirby. I think I've probably pronounced that correctly. Bradley Kirby, who's got some exciting development to, to tell us about over in the Beaver Builder space. So hi, Bradley. Hey, Nathan. How's it going? Really, really well. I am really utterly stoked to be talking to you because... Uh, to be perfectly honest, as I was saying to you before we start this conversation, until a few weeks ago, I don't know that I'd heard your name because um, although you've developed something really cool for Beaver Builder, um, I don't know that you'd been frequenting the same places that I was. So um, Bradley has built something which you can find over on his website. Well, you can't find it just yet, to be honest. Maybe by the time this podcast has come out, there'll be more information about it. But if you go to Wallace... Um, inline, so W-A-L-L-A-C-E, inline.com. You're going to find out about his inline editor for Beaver Builder, which is about the most exciting news I've had this side of Beaver Builder too. What on earth inspired you to do this, Bradley? Uh, well, uh, you know, I'm fairly new to Beaver Builder, and I was trying to just build a personal website. Uh, this was probably four or five months ago, and uh, I was looking around, and I was like, well, wouldn't it be neat... Uh, to just you know have an inline editing feature, inline editing functionality, so I wouldn't have to keep going back and forth between the builder and and then just besides my own personal use, just that piece of technology is just super neat uh, to me, just conceptually. So I, I looked around and couldn't find anything for Beaver Builder, um, and so I started trawling through the source code for Beaver Builder, seeing if maybe I could uh, if I could build something like this and. Uh, I, you know, crawled around a little bit, and it turned out I was like, "Well, I, I think I can." And so I put together a little, uh, a little demo and put it up on the on the Beaver Builder Facebook group. And the reception was uh, was really positive. Um, really, the Beaver Builder community, I think, in particular, maybe is the is the best community in in WordPress, in my opinion. And so they just got behind the idea wholeheartedly. And so I've been just uh, full steam ahead ever since then. I think we should probably explain for those that don't know what inline editing is. What what's the difference between what your plugin allows to happen and what we would normally have with um, a page builder, in this case Beaver Builder? Yeah, good idea. So inline editing is just a it's a way to edit the content of a website where you're not where there's very, very little editing Chrome, editing interface around. So you just you're clicking on text on the website, the live website and just editing it right there on in place and th that differs from normal beaver builder because normal i mean if you're familiar with the software as most of your listeners i'm sure are yeah. you go into the inter interface and then you click on a module and then a big box pops up with a, a myriad of different options and then you find your your text box option and then you replace the text in there and then it is reflected you know quite nicely on on the front end but there's a lot of extra chrome there so does this allow you to um so let's actually take a step back. Um, mm. In the normal Beaver Builder interface, a, a panel swings in from the right or, or the left now, um, and you you click on it, you drag things into the to the page. You, as you mm -hmm. say, you edit it, and there's usually some sort of WYSIWYG editor, some sort of something that looks a bit like Microsoft Word or something like that. And you type in there, and you click save, and it all goes away, and you, you're looking at the page. Do you? Do you have to enable some kind of Wallace inline mode in order to be able to edit the text which is you're currently looking at, or can you just literally start to click around? 
So yeah, there is a mode that you enable. Uh, you enable that right now by uh, it's a it's a link next to the Beaver Builder link on the admin bar at the okay. top when, if you're logged in. Yeah. And then there's also a link um, in the main Beaver Builder interface. Once the Beaver Builder interface is active, uh, there's a new button that I've added called uh, Editor, and you click that, and it'll seamlessly switch uh, to the inline editor mode without a page load happening. Oh. So just a, a nice little transition in there to the inline editing mode. Um, and you've got a little video um, on your web page, WallaceInline.com where mm -hmm. it shows you that you have some sort of visual feedback about where you can edit. So you're sort of scanning around on the page, and as you roll over stuff, little rectangles in a familiar way that it kind of makes you feel, okay, this is editable, appears. And then you literally just click into it. So, for example, your H1 tag, your title, you just find it, click in it, delete it, replace it, and so on. And then also some handy very minimal styling options appear. Do you, do you want to tell us the, the limitations of, of what you can do in terms of altering fonts or font sizes or just italicizing bold and all of that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. So right now the plan is for there to be two separate um, interface editing options, one very minimal and then one more full-featured, and that would depend on the settings of the module uh, that, that's being edited. And so the the very minimal one will just be probably just a, a link, so you, you'll still be able to do the nice um, the nice functionality that happens where you highlight something and then paste in a link and have the link just uh, appear, you know, right. formatted correctly. Mm -hmm. And then bold and italic. That those three features will be in the the minimal version, and and that's just for for think like headlines and that sort of thing, and titles that sort of thing, where you're not writing a ton of text and you're not formatting a lot of text as either. But then there's another um, Another thing that's not actually shown in the demo, where longer, more structured pieces of text will have a, a, a more fully featured editor where you can do things like left align, right align, um, just a normal, um, a normal tiny MCE editor experience like you would expect um, uh, inside the Beaver Builder interface itself. So are you going to hide away though? Are, are those um, text edit options like um, italic, um, a, a lot, you know, bullet points or whatever you've decided will be mm. packaged in there? Is that going to follow your mouse around? So in other words, if you click on something and you highlight something, will the will the editing the editing options appear directly above where the mouse is at this exact moment, or will it appear at the boundary of the box that you're in? And, so for the minimal one, it will appear directly above after a highlight. For the uh, more extended one, um, I, I believe what will end up happening um, will be that the editor will be there uh, as a border around the module box uh, always. Right, right. As it's being edited, and then that will go away if once you select another module to edit. Are there any limitations um, that you've discovered that you you can't you you've decided oh I'd love to have been able to do that like I don't know f God help us all font color or something like that um, uh. you can imagine the fun that clients would have um, that you've you found ah, actually this cannot be done I'm I'm hitting a brick wall here or have you or has everything fallen beautifully into place I haven't hit any hard limitations yet, but that might just be a function of the fact that I'm like very, very narrowly focused right now on a, on a handful of only text modules. Mm -hmm. So I'm really like restraining the experience to a text-only experience right now, uh, limited to um, the most popular text modules that ship with Beaver Builder Complete, uh, PowerPack, and uh, UAB.
ultimate add-ons. Um, yeah, that was. So gonna, I think that. Sorry, I, I was going to say that was going to be my next question: is um, does it does it play nicely with um, your popular add-ons like UAB and and PowerPack? That's great to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it has to. I think it's not going to be a successful product unless you know it just works once you uh, once you activate it. It should just it should just work with the vast majority of people's setups. So it is basically for text. Um, would that be right? It, so you can only alter text, or have you got the capability to, um, in an inline way, swap out images and things like that? So it'll launch with just text, but images are something that I'm considering uh, definitely because. I think I wanted to limit it to the content, but you know, images are a big part of content as well. So I think it, it could eventually support images and the other media forms as well. For me, it feels like this sits beautifully in that kind of space between um, me, the person building the website, and my client. In other words, I've built the website. I'm very, very happy. I've polished it up. Everything's exactly where I want it to be. And then I get calls because no matter how simple Beaver Builder is in my eyes, it's still complicated enough that people can't cope with it. So I'm wondering if you're going to put in the capability for me to switch this on for certain user roles. So, for example, a uh, an editor, uh, as an example, might have access to this, but not the Beaver Builder interface. So, yeah, they can go in, they can change the title of their um, pages they can change the text but they can't you know drag out and uh, delete modules and add in new modules and so on yeah that's exactly right so that, that feature you described is exactly what uh, I'm planning on uh, building and the, and the use case that I think is is particularly nice for this feature is exactly like you said a client who only has an interest in or only should have an interest in editing the content of his website and not uh, not all the hard work that the designer has put in that he thinks that or, or she thinks that um, she can do better. Will you have kind of granular permissions? I mean, I know this is still very, very early days, but mm-hmm. are you planning on p- permissioning things like, okay, this cannot we we can't change the font weight here. Um, we can't change the the font at all. We can't italicize. But yes, we can do this. We could change the H tag or what have you. You know, so certain users can inherit these permissions, and certain users can inherit those permissions. Or mm-hmm. just more broadly speaking, the editor can only use the italic and the bold, but not the underline, and so on and so forth. Right. The, it probably won't be that granular. Mm. What I'm thinking right now is that. If you have an editor and only editor capability, you'll be able to have full access to the inline editor, but there won't be an option to switch back and forth between the builder and the editor. Um, but whereas if you have full admin capabilities, there's a nice feature where you can seamlessly switch between uh, the inline editor mode and the full Beaver Builder experience. And so that's where I'll, I'll probably draw the line uh, role-wise between capabilities. And have you, um, well, a couple of weeks after you dropped this bombshell um, and made us all highly anticipate your <laughs> your plugin, um, the the sort of rival, if you like, um, Elementor came out with a, a similar a similar offering with their core Elementor page builder product, which kind of mm-hmm. feels to me like you're on the right lines. But obviously, from your point of view, it's important that you you have um, to, in order to continue developing it, you've got to know that this stuff isn't going to be added into the core of Beaver Builder at any point in the near future. Have you um, 
have you made those inquiries and talked to the Beaver Builder crew and seen if you're, you know, treading on toes and lining yourself up for something that's going to be um, unnecessary in the near future? Yeah, I, I emailed back and forth right after uh, I I posted on the Facebook group with Robbie McCullough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he said that they had no current plans to implement uh, inline editing mode. He mentioned that, you know, something, uh, a sort of a vague hope that down the line perhaps they could implement or um, integrate with Gutenberg, but that they had no no immediate plans to do an inline editor mode. And so I think he's, uh, he's you know, if not fully behind the project yet, he's supportive that I'm working on it. And so, uh, yeah, and, and in, you know, as you said earlier too, or before we began, before we began talking, the founders of, of Beaver Blur are just so supportive of the broader community. And that's that's really the, the reason that I uh, even started with Beaver Builder in the first place, rather than these competing um, page builders like Elementor is just the, just the community around Beaver Builder just seems so excited and so optimistic and the ecosystem, uh, the commercial and free ecosystems are just so, so strong and growing. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a, fab, a utterly fabulous community. I think you've, um, I think you've put your flag in the right piece of ground, shall we say. I, I don't think you can Absolutely. go far wrong. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really pleased that you've, you've made the effort. Now, um, it, one of the things that always troubles us with page builders and things, but less so with Beaver Builder is, is what happens when you, um, when you turn the plugin off and, and uninstall it, and we know in the case of Beaver Builder, it needs, leaves nice, nice, reasonably usable HTML behind, if you like. Um, does mm-hmm. your plugin leave any um, unnecessary stuff behind? What, what, I'm, what I'm thinking of is what would we see if we uninstalled your plugin and then we were to look at the, the HTML that was spat out? Is it, does it fiddle in any way or does it just go straight in that text area and fiddle with the text only? Yeah, the great the great news is that it works in the same way in the same way that Beaver Builder saves its data. Um, it, Wallace Inline will save its data in the same way, so it integrates very tightly with the Beaver Builder experience. So there will be no uh, no sort of pollution left over after uh, after it's after the user has moved on. So if we were to uninstall it, the changes that we had made using Wallace Inline would still be visible on the page. So as an example, if we changed some some made something italic it would still be italic it's it's just overwriting the the bits that beaver builder has already written to the database that's right great and how about the um the sort of pricing have you have you given any thought to that have you spent any time um, with beta testers yet and worked out where this fits in do you need any beta testers yet and and what's the what's the roadmap for the future that's too many questions let's break that down have you (laughs) have you um beta tested this with anybody and if not are you looking for people yeah so right now the plan is to open up uh paid beta testing at the end of this month um and the price for that will be 39 dollars as a one-time fee and then in exchange for getting the product early and supporting the product early uh, that will be a lifetime license for full updates and support uh, going forward. But I am limiting that to the first 100 customers who sign up. So, if did, did you uh, say $39? That was the... $39. Nice. Yeah. That's really that's nobody can argue with that. I think that's really really <laughs> kind. Yeah, good for you. You, you know what? They're not going to last long. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I give I give that people. a few hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've got some people emailing me that's like, you know, I, I hope I'm 
you know, I better be better be one of the 100. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then any thoughts after that 100 where your pricing structure is going to go once the beta testing is over and you're happy and you're on version 1.0? So right now the plan is uh, 1.0 to be released uh, mid-January next year. And then the pricing I'm expecting for that is 59 per year uh, with an option for a 199 lifetime. Right. Okay. Again, you know, all reasonable stuff. I can't see why not. I mean, it, it's going to make life. It just and the, the great thing about the Beaver Builder community is that every everybody's got the core product, and then these wonderful little things just keep getting added in, and some of them so utterly indispensable. And it feels mm-hmm. to me like yours is going to hit very, very right at the top of my list of indispensable. I can well imagine handing this over to every client and saying, "Look, you can have the choice." of this interface and working um, you know, with these windows that pop up and so on, or you can have the choice of just pressing your mouse on the bit that you need. And I know for a fact that 80, 90% of my clients are gonna go, look, just give me the easy one, because <laughs> <laughs> it's just what you need. Um, how, on a, on a slightly more technical level, um, we do have quite a few technical listeners. Would you mm-hmm. like to just briefly run down how on earth this stuff gets built what were the technologies involved and um, any obstacles and things that you had to defeat along the way mm-hmm. so it's a it's actually a little uh, react application um, that integrates with a tiny MCE in an in inline mode and then uh, that integrates with or that talks to a custom rest API endpoint um, that then makes uh, beaver builder their internal PHP API that talks to their internal PHP API. And so when you put those pieces together, that's, uh, that's how you get the, what you see in the, in the demo. Um, where's, what's your background? Um, because we, we were very unfamiliar with you and, and out, up you popped with this revelation. What, what's your, um, what's your sort of heritage? Do you have a, a bunch of plugins or is are you new to, well, in, you said you were new to Beaver Builder. Is that the case for WordPress as well? Or do you have, do you have a, a sort of heritage of building this stuff? So I'm, I actually built um, one of the very first REST API-powered themes. That was about a year and a half ago. And that was also called uh, Wallace. It's called uh, called Wallace theme. It's no longer an active development. But um, so I guess you could say I've been working kind of on at least what I consider like the cutting edge JavaScript side of WordPress for about three years now. And so this kind of uh, fits in with that evolution. Um, well, I, I think um, unless you've got anything else you want to add, we're on about the uh, roughly speaking about the 20 minute mark, which is kind of like a sweet spot for our new format. Um, mm. Is there any particular place you would like our users to go whenever this manages to materialize on the website? Is there a URL? Is there a best way to to get in touch with you if they want to ask you some questions about it and so on? Uh, yeah, so go to wallaceinline.com uh, to look at the, to see the project. And I'm on Twitter at Bradley underscore Kirby. And then, uh, well, I'll talk to you maybe after this about setting up a little competition or something. I know you like to Ooh, like to do those for your nice listeners. So. The competition. Yeah. That, that would, <laughs> oh yes. Yes, please. Um, go check it out. Seriously. Wallaceinline.com. Um, and if the page is as is, as it is at the moment, there's, um, you know, there's a button to sign up for the, for the early access. There's a video and the video speaks a million words. The video will show you the delight 
that you're going to you're going to see when you finally get this thing installed in your WordPress site and the way that your clients are going to be happier. Uh, go check that out. And uh, yeah, Bradley, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you not only for coming on, but thanks for just dropping this on us and making us all think that, uh, yeah, this is something we should definitely be having. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. No worries. And today's ending fact is UX or user experience. Now, this is something that does interest me. And what it does is it refers to how users interact with a website or app where they click, which pages they visit. And UX is generally shaped by testing the differences in page layouts and calls to actions, colors, and that kind of thing. So it's a bit of split testing. But Nathan, have you ever done any of this? Have you ever done any split tests? No, I, I honestly haven't done an, an awful lot of this sort of stuff. I work on the basis largely of... Um, gut feeling, which is no measure yeah. of anything, frankly, but <laughs> it, it kind of that that's the scope and the breadth of what I've got. You know, my projects don't launch um, into the hundreds of thousands of pounds. And the idea of um, I, I certainly wouldn't do any kind of testing whilst I'm literally watching people interact with the website, which I understand, you know, uh, would be very important if this was a mission critical uh, enterprise level website. You'd want to see that, you know, visitor X arriving on the website, not knowing anything about what to do, can navigate to where you need them to get to easily. Um, but in terms of sort of split testing, maybe A-B testing, I, I have had minimal experience with that. Um, my clients, generally speaking, just often just want a brochure site and they just want a display of the information. Um, and they're not too fussy about it being hyper-optimized. So no, limited experience with this. Yeah, and it's me too, because I can't sell it to anyone. No. This is, I would love to be doing more of this. And it seems to me that... It's always people like uh, Unbounce and um, Lead Pages and people who do marketing who sort of dominate in this area when it comes to us building full websites or brochure websites. We, we can't interest clients in looking at what you users actually do yeah i guess that my problem would be that most of my clients once the website has been built they just that's we sort of seem to say goodbye a lot at that point and whilst they might be on my hosting plans or something we don't often get back into oh can we optimize this page that's maybe something i could push a bit more and become a little bit more experienced in this but no I build it to the best of my ability and explain how it all works. And then hopefully it's obvious. And for me, I use the the common tropes. You know, I've got usually a, a, a header with a navigation menu and the sub pages hidden under uh, drop down menus and that kind of thing. So there's nothing difficult to find usually. Yeah. Hey, these ending facts are getting a bit like uh, Nathan and David's sort of ending failures, aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> the <laughs> ending failures. Yeah, that's true. No, but I think that's quite... We're human, aren't we? And we're probably expressing yeah. the same sort of stuff as a lot of the people who listen. Obviously, if I was to work in an agency, this would be something that I'd become an expert at because I would have the need to do it because my, my the clients coming through the door would demand it and have a wallet for it. I... I don't really have experience with this because my clients haven't got the wallet for it and so it just hasn't come my way really but at least we know at least we know what it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and i'm really keen to push a bit this you know to try and encourage clients because it's going to make them more money i think if they get into this well they can see them. 
especially in, in your case where you're you're going to be very soon launching your productized service where instead mm. of instead of communicating one to one with the client you're going to be communicating through the website and so that suddenly will become crucial you know if you discover that by changing a particular feature or moving something your conversions go up 5% because you've made it mm. easier or more obvious then that's very valuable in my case, um, I, I don't have anything along those lines. So, yeah. But obviously, you know, you can see this sort of stuff must be happening all the time. You, you look at web apps um, and they're constantly changing and they move things and they shift things around. And sometimes you'll you'll go into a familiar um, web app and you'll think, where what, what where have the buttons gone? And that, that, this is what they've learned. They've learned that if you remove things and put them over here, ultimately everything will be easier for everybody. And, and it's it's a constant iteration, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. Right, let's <laughs> knock it on the head. These ending facts, which are supposed to be about a minute and a half long, have ended up being closer to five. So we should shut up and get out of here. So I'm going to say <laughs> goodbye from Nathan Wrigley. And goodbye from me, David Wormsley. Feel the cheesy music swelling up beneath us. Have a great week. Ooh. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.